Grace, mercy, and peace are yours this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, who do you say that the Son of Man is? It's been a long time, but we're largely still asking the same question. We're a long time past those days when people haven't heard of the name Jesus. Everybody's heard him by now. Even today in a secular world, he gets a lot of press. The thing is, when you actually listen, though, we all seem to be talking about somebody different. And most of those Jesuses aren't real. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Some try to go for the high road, and they'll say that he is just an example. He's the guy that you follow when you feel bad about being bad, and he helps you be better until you don't want to be so bad anymore. Except most of the time, he just sort of ends up being the guy used to bash you over the head when you don't do what somebody else wants you to. It's simpler, at least, when we use the example Jesus as a weapon against our own children. Hey, kids, Jesus wouldn't do drugs. And he always does his homework, and he always cleans his room, and he always listens to his parents. Be like Jesus. He's a shining example of what you could be, but aren't. He's a chance to feel ashamed every single time you're around a pastor who just might maybe know the truth, or a parent who might have another lecture to turn you into the kid that they wished you were. And then we complain about why there aren't kids in church. Example Jesus, though, really shines when the adults turn him against each other. It's amazing how he can be on both sides of nearly every single issue that we want to fight about. The Ten Commandments are super important for me to tell you why you're wrong about stuff, but can never actually be used to make me reflect upon my own positions. And so I know that Jesus said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God's, but I'm pretty sure the whole book's about politics, and Jesus agrees with me on every single issue about politics and wants you to vote the way that I vote, and I've got some really out-of-context Bible verses to prove it, and you should just ignore everybody who disagrees with me but also quotes the Bible with no context whatsoever to prove their point. And if you were really a Christian, you'd care deeply about the social issues that I care about more than you because Christians are supposed to be loving, like me. You know, the guy who hates everybody on the other side of every issue that I care about, but veils it behind self-righteousness and passive-aggressive behavior. Then, we complain about how the world doesn't respect the separation between church and state. It's uncomfortable, right? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some just love the low road, aim right for it. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Oh, he's just a bigot. No better than the monsters and murderers with guns and bombs today. He calls people sinners in a hate-filled book that does nothing but set up the scene for hate crimes in the name of higher powers. And no matter what you call it, he is the very same as the worst examples of all of the rest. There's no room for nuance here and even less for mercy. And the thing is, it's not just outside our walls, but sometimes even within See, bigot Jesus picks the sinners that sin differently than I do and says there's no forgiveness for them until they change, never mind that we've been in here confessing the same sins week after week for years now. Then we'll complain about a culture that doesn't see the point of organized religion. 
Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some have given up. They'll just say he's a myth because how could a loving God let a world look like this? Because if I was God, I would do things differently. Even though I need help using the dishwasher sometimes, I'm still pretty sure that I'm smarter than any deity that could create the heavens and the earth and sustain them for all of time until this moment. And if you go by how most people want to talk about him, I'm clearly more loving than him too, even though my very first act as the one in charge would be to make everybody who has ever done me wrong suffer rather than suffer for them myself in order to save them and then send people out just to speak that forgiveness to them, then we can complain about the whole idea of faith itself, that we should trust in something we can't see or control if we just prayed hard enough, while all the while claiming to be people who live by it. Have you noticed where every single one of these goes wrong? The common theme in all of these is that they grab hold of a very select part of the law and ignore the gospel completely and then try and turn religion into a weapon. That's what the people wanted from Elijah, who they wanted to be a weapon against a world set against them. It's what they wanted from John the Baptist and Jeremiah, who were both ridiculed and hated by the world and the religious folks alike, not because they were ever wrong, but because they called everyone to seek mercy in the Lord, who not only calls sin wrong, but loves sinners enough to forgive them. But who do you say the Son of Man is? This is not a what does Jesus mean to you essay. That's where every other one of those went wrong. Not a single one of them is a confession about who God is. It's just speeches about how we would use him. And it can never be more than that. Because if Jesus is nothing more than the law to you, well, you can try to use the law, but you can only receive the gospel. And so a Jesus that is nothing more than the law is nothing more than something to use. It's nothing more than a tool or a weapon to serve whatever ends we need him to meet, either to help us win an argument or to excuse us from having to listen to him we don't like what he has to say. Every single time, it is law and no gospel. Those are answers from flesh and blood. Every last one of them should make us feel uncomfortable. Every last one of them should sound ridiculous, because they are. This is not a chance for you to come up with your own answer. That has gone wrong every single time that we've tried it. Instead, we are given a common confession, a God-given creed. Peter's answer is not from flesh and blood. It is from God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We answer the same. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Who is God? This is not a chance to look in your heart and make up an answer on the spot. You have been taught what to say. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This answer is God-given. Because if it's going to come from flesh and blood, it would just be confessions of what we see in a world full of flesh and blood. And ever since Adam and Eve blamed each other over eating some fruit in a garden, and Cain picked up a rock, we've only ever really been looking for weapons in this world. We figure we need them. Because honestly, this world looks like hell. Everybody sees it. 
the Christians and the unbelievers alike, from the pains of the standards that you know you'll never reach, no matter how hard you try, to the bitterness that you hold over those that would stand over you and never seem to be happy with what you've done, to the shame of knowing full well what's right and falling so short of it yourself, to the hate and the suffering and the pain brought by sinners who turn against each other, let alone those little words, sharper than knives, used to cut each other down and ruin reputations, all the way to those deeper sins that are ground into the very dust that we walk on, that raise up storms that we can't explain and leave us grasping for what to say while we try to explain to a mother burying her kid about why any of this makes sense. This is our world. Sin, death, devil, all around. I see hell just fine. If I'm going to be really honest, I spend more time than any pastor probably should just wondering whether or not we're alone in it. And so I'm given words to speak to you that are not from flesh and blood that are not from sin and doubt, but from a church that cries with the very voice of God in heaven. Who do you say that I am? From him, the answer is a sigh of relief. It is a hymn of hope. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The church was founded on these words to stand right up against the gates of hell, that hell would not overcome it. This is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the one who came into this very pit of despair and destruction. He did not walk with me on a nice sunny beach to be my footsteps in some poem hung on my refrigerator. He walked into Jerusalem to die for me instead, and for you and for all. It makes everyone who hates him look like they were right all along. Because yours is not the God of strength. Yours is the God who bleeds. Yours is the God who comes into Jerusalem to die naked and alone. And he did it for his enemies. And he did it for me. And he did it for you. He did it to forgive all of us. Every standard that you fell short of, Jesus died for you. Your sins are forgiven. Every demand of the law that you have not met, Jesus died for you. Your sins are forgiven. He bore the wrath and the punishment for you. He died for every single sinner, sinking in despair and hate and pain. He would not pick up a weapon to wield, but took up a cross to carry. He did not overcome by bearing only law, but with it, the gospel, the promise of forgiveness for you and for me and for all. He came to call you his beloved, perfect and holy, unstained by sin, unblemished by the world, not by what you've done, but by what he has done for you, because that is the measurement of the Christian. You are not the sum of what you have been done. You are not the sum of what has been done to you. You are the sum of what has been done for you. You are somebody Jesus loved enough to die for you are somebody he forgives. You are somebody he loves. You are somebody he saves. This is what you receive. Mercy, the gospel. You are the sinners that Jesus died for. Yours is the God who conquers sin and even conquers death. Yours is the God who rose from dead. Yours is the God who gives mercy, not to the people who deserve it, but to the people who need it. Yours is the God who unlocks heaven and lets all the sinners in because we are sinners no more. So go to your pastor and hear blessed words. In this stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Simple little words that tie you to the victory overcoming the grave itself. That he who died for you is risen from the dead and ties you to him that you would rise to. And when you cannot see that forgiveness, look to the cross where our Lord would affect it. Look to the resurrection where our Lord would prove it. In this stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is our religion. Christ gives, we receive, and it is yours now. All of it. Yours is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you have life in his name. The church stands at the very gates of hell with this confession. With these little words. And here we still are. Here we still stand. Because ours is the God of the gospel. Ours is the God of the cross. Ours is the God of the resurrection. Ours is mercy and forgiveness and hope. We have the God-given confession of truth and life. And not even hell itself will overcome it. It's dark and hell is hot. But we will endure because Christ is risen from the dead and we are baptized into that life. We will endure even in a world that hates the idea of mercy for those they don't think deserve it. We will endure a war with ourselves that we lose far more than we win. We will endure the trials and temptations, the fear and the panic, the hate, and even the death, because hell cannot prevail against us down here. Ours is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we have life in his name. In the name of Jesus, amen.